0: there welcome to the heavy hole my name is tom my name is big will aka uncle buck monday night justin how you guys doing
1: yeah you're tuesday night justin too man i see you all over the place i I, I tend to stay around every night get out of here this guy hey oh welcome to the heavy hole podcast so what's going on guys how we doing everybody okay yeah uh you got the coffee out man you feeling tired over there well i'm I'm actually taking a medication right now because i found out i have a problem with my inner ear Allegedly, whoa, whoa, yeah, no, it's whoa. a legal we gotta, <laughs> steroid. We got it. We got to talk about this <laughs> before we record the podcast tonight. Whoa, whoa. how, you, how inner, you, inner, how inner, are you okay?
0: I'm all right. <laughs> I, I am fine. Okay, um,
1: thank, thank God.
0: Yeah, this is I'm taking a legal steroid. Okay, for this problem because okay. I, I guess I've just been listening to too much death metal, so my the fluids in my inner ear have stopped moving. Jeez, yeah, so. I'm going to get that wow. fixed with the steroid here. It's not as legal as gas station CBD, but it is legal. <laughs> oh, wow. I uh, hoping it helps. I, f- I feel good outside of that. You got me You got
1: me worried. I was a little concerned for you. I was. <laughs> yeah, well, it, man. Well, we so, checked
0: the mics and he responded. Okay. Send me
1: a text next time.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, uh, thank me... you for your concern. Sorry yeah. to spring that on you.
1: Okay, all right. So your ears, Tom's ears, are good. All right.
0: Yeah. Uh, wait, I have a question for you guys. You guys did something kind of in the same
1: area. This no, week. we we didn't see each other. We
0: had There's, adjacent good times.
1: Yeah, there was a vast <laughs> vast sea of humanity. Uh, yeah, artificial brain um, uh, performed uh, at the Saint Vitus bar with dysrhythmia and blood incantation Friday night Valentine's Day. Hell yeah! Very I, romantic. It I is. didn't. Ha- yeah, I didn't have plans. I was available for the show. <laughs> Go figure.
0: <laughs> I uh, I brought my girlfriend there. Yeah, uh, like promising I'm, the world. You know that we're going to make this better, but we're going to spend. This you and your Day girlfriend.
1: Here. Poser man, the guy took up two two tickets for two lonely death metal guys that could have been at that show. <laughs> I swear
0: I enjoyed it more.
1: Oh no! Well, I
0: got to see Artificial Brain for the first time.
1: Dude, booking a death yeah. metal show on Valentine's Day just opens you up for all these punchlines. It never stops. It's like it's like the pasta at Olive Garden. Yeah. Oh um, my God, Justin,
0: what did you think of Artificial Brain? That was alright.
1: It was your first time seeing Artificial <laughs> Brain, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, the weather allowed me to get there. You know what? this. Uh, you know, when you take a hot air balloon to shows.
0: This, listen, it's, it's interrupted before. Uh, you know, this, uh, you know, silly little 10 year relationship I'm in, you know, didn't uh inhibit me from making it. Uh, yeah, and, you guys uh, have
1: known each other longer than 10 years. Whoa, okay. Hey, Ooh. hey now. All hey, right, my, uh, Tom, Tom, <laughs> I
0: swear. Tom, I'm gonna be better.
1: I swear. All right, come on. Uh, come yes,
0: on. Will, I uh, I had a fantastic time. Just watching you in your element, man. Like commanding the fucking people who were so appreciative. Finally, another artificial brain show. Commanding,
1: Uh, I was was like, "Oh uh, my
0: god, dude!" You know. And then the only person I've ever seen in a sweaty, hot venue filled with just like you know uh, sexual tension and and must um, from the Valentine's Day atmosphere actually put on a hoodie on stage.
1: Yeah, uh, Uh, that I tell you, I I couldn't believe it. It was about ten seconds where it was only that one part. And I, I, was like out of breath when I took it off. It was so hot. Oh my god, man! It was yeah, it was terrible. It Comma- was great. I, I don't know about commanding because our um, uh, artificial brain—we're more like a democracy, you know. The fa- the fans command us, man. Yeah. We feed off that. Air. What Juan? You, have, you what, have to say that, dude. What Juan says, I I do, man. Juan Madrano wants a song, I play it. You know, I don't care, man. I, even if he wants me to play it on guitar, I don't have to play guitar. It's getting played for the fans. You'll you know? figure it out. Yeah, we <laughs> get the will remix. It right? was great, though. Uh, anybody lucky enough to be there, uh, call some new tracks. I messed up a little bit on on the new songs, but nobody knows it because they're new, so it's <laughs> great. Yeah, they'll know in the album comes out
0: <laughs> it is, uh, what are you uh, gonna do it was great man No, it
1: was a beautiful experience so many wonderful people if you were there thank you so much and thank you for listening to the podcast all seriousness all jokes aside man what a great night Justin texted me uh after our set like "Yo, know, let's get a drink man I'm here I it was like this see if you ever been to St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn man it was just packed out I was either like you know downstairs trying to catch my breath and drink some water or I was behind the merch table and I couldn't even see Justin couldn't find him man we didn't we didn't link up, man. I owe you a beer, man. No, it's so, all
0: good. You texted me. I was I was ordering my crunchwrap at Taco Bell uh, back in Huntington. <laughs> oh, okay, like, well, Here's yeah. this fucking guy.
1: <laughs> you could, yeah. For our, our Patreon uh, Patreon users should know what that's about. The, the late night Taco Bell order with that's Justin, right. man. It gets gets extreme with Justin. It's I silly
0: know how to just work that drive through microphone. Man.
1: Yikes, man. Yikes. <laughs> so yeah. So shout to shout to St. Vice. Shout to everybody. Beautiful evening. Shout to Blood Incantation. You may have heard about their new album. Uh, if you follow metal culture, I don't know. You know, they're a little low-key, right? They're, they're, nobody's really talking about that Blood Incantation album, right? No, no, no. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it'd yeah. be really down here. They won, they won a, like, an Oscar for it or something. I got to check it out. Yeah. Um, uh, Dysrhythmia, beautiful band. Uh, Dysrhythmia, um, uh, we, we, you know, we, we obviously interviewed Kevin Huffnagel only a few weeks ago that, um, that episode dropped, but you can check that out if you missed it. Uh, and Blood Incantation we're working on getting somebody back from that band and working it out with those guys we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that behind the scenes I may have just spilled a couple beans uh, but Tom I digress uh, where were you Friday night? that's a great question
0: oh um I couldn't get tickets <laughs> <laughs> shit sold out yeah man uh, that took me a minute yeah no I was just uh, I was down here right here where we
1: record this guy was like my place guy and- was like playing mini golf <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> but, I, I was drinking a bomb box of chocolates. He was, he was throwing the little baseball at the Target at the at the Fireman's Fair to win the huge stuffed animal for his girlfriend. He was doing all that Valentine's Day stuff. Yeah, man. I, I was
0: coming in with uh, all the sweet kisses. And uh, we see this bottle of Prosecco that I haven't cleaned up?
1: <laughs> standing stand, standing on the front lawn with the boombox in the air playing artificial brain. Turns out she wasn't even home. Uh, so. <laughs> turns, out, turns out it was the wrong house. Yeah. We, we just bailed Tom out for this episode. Just singing to Gab's dad Oh, again. my God. Listen. Um, but now we got to appreciate the ladies. Oh yeah, we and love ladies. That was uh, behind the scenes. One of our New Year's resolutions, or one of my New Year's resolutions for this podcast, we got to start sharing women's side of the heavy metal experience more. And you guys know me. Uh, we're gonna start with the OGs, the pioneers. So we've reached out to uh, a few people, a few women behind the scene, uh, and one of whom we're gonna have this evening. We're gonna talk to Karen Crisis. That's right, uh, Karen Crisis. Uh, pioneering extreme metal vocalist, people may remember her from the band Crisis in the '90s. Also worked with Ethel Duath, and she's going to tell us a lot tonight about her uh, most recent project, Karen Crisis Gospel of the Witches.
0: Yeah, so let's get that going. And also, Will, I have never seen a gas-powered Segway before. <laughs>
1: I'm out here grinding. Carter, Carter. Hello, hello. Hi there.
2: Hi. Can you hear me okay?
1: You sound great. Great.
2: Awesome.
1: How about us? Hi Karen. This is Will. I'm I'm the uh person that was uh speaking with you in the emails. Okay. This is Tom.
2: Hey Tom. And this is Justin. (laughs) Oh, and Justin. Okay. Three people.
1: There you go. Yeah, there's there's three of us. Uh I I tend to lead the interview uh and crowd the other guys out of the way. We're the peanut gallery. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, jo- joking aside, though, thank you very much for uh, responding, and thank you for your time. We appreciate it.
2: Of course. Thank you for your time, too. No worries.
1: Awesome. And uh, as we always say uh, on the podcast, being respectful of your time, we have a lot of questions, um, okay. and you, you have a long-running career. So is it okay if we just kind of uh, get into um, the, uh, the beginning of things?
2: Yeah, you lead the way.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I do a lot of research, um, so I do have a lot of questions. And I, I know starting off, you're originally from Chicago, right?
2: Yes, I am. Many years ago.
1: <laughs> are, are you from, from a, a particularly musical or creative uh, family or background uh, in Chicago?
2: Uh, sure. My mother was an art teacher, and, my, and she played piano, and my dad played, like, guitar, p- piano, harmonica. And just being near Chicago anyway, I... Started going there as soon as I could drive, and I was all about trying to go to shows. You know, Chicago. I'm not sure these days, but it used to have a great music scene for all international acts and also underground music. So I was all about it in those days.
1: <laughs> so, um, uh, what maybe before you before you're able before you mentioned driving? Um, did you? I know you you learned how to play violin, right?
2: Yes. I do.
1: yeah uh, is that something that you were taught as a child
2: Uh, no I started taking piano lessons when I was very young I don't remember how young now grade school you know early grade school and I became obsessed with violin and I started learning Uh, I think I wasn't old enough to learn it in my school at that point but there was I found this like Russian lady in my neighborhood because her son like rode the bus with me and he was like a character you'd see out of like the Pretty in Pink movie, you know, just something weird for the town that I grew up in. And so we sort of became friends and he mentioned that his mom taught violin lessons. So I started taking private lessons from her and she was amazing. She taught me how to like feel music and listen to the music before I played it. Which is a something that it's a little hard to explain, but I ended up using it for singing. Um, so she ended up being really important for me, and I took lessons from her just one street over from the house that you know I lived in for a few years until I joined like the school orchestra and then like the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra or something like that. But I was into the really gypsy aspect of violin because I found out my great-grandfather was a gypsy from Transylvania, so I was like, well, that's what I want to be. <laughs> so do you so, listen to
0: a lot of, like, Django Reinhardt growing
2: up? I don't even know what that is. Oh, you know, okay. I, I don't listen. It's, like, very funny. I, I've listened to music, but I don't listen to a lot of music. But the idea of violin <laughs> being this wanderer, you know, and sort of, like, listening, she kind of taught me this idea of listening is something that I used to, like, listen to the the day listen to the universe listen to the plants listen to what people are saying behind their body language it was a very interesting thing that taught me more about the way i interact with people and the planet i guess
1: so, sounds like a very philosophical approach to uh,
2: <laughs> to, to,
1: to, the, to the arts that's that's oh, interesting um <laughs> and uh you know i i watched a lot of like old interviews and things of that nature um, and obviously, it's uh, you know, as we get on later on in the interview, I have a lot of questions about um, uh, God, Karen crisis Gospel of the Witches and so on. It seems like something you were fairly open with discussing uh, that that you said you you had. Uh, I guess we'll just say supernatural experiences dating back to an early age.
2: Sure. Oh yes. Oh indeed. I mean, for me, growing up, it didn't all make sense until later. But growing up as a as a very young kid, I mean, I didn't really know. I just didn't question the fact that people lived, were alive, that weren't in bodies. I knew that, at first I thought I was the only one who, I thought everyone could see that, you know, that, okay, there's people all around me, they don't, Look as solid as other people do, but I'm very aware of their personality, the way they're looking at me, whether they're grumpy or friendly or creepy. I did have a lot of experiences when I was younger and in my early teenage years where I could actually see, you know, spirit people or ghosts or whatever term you want to use, um, really solidly in the room. In fact, my first date was very embarrassing because, um, you know, A young man took me to this bar that seemed like it was out of a David Lynch movie, and um, I thought, wow, people are really friendly here. There were, you know, men walking by in these very, looked like 1950s suits, saying, hello, good evening. And I I think I was too young to be in the bar, but they let me in, and I was like, wow, people are very polite and friendly here. But when my date, uh, when we got our dinner, and we were done watching, like, the stand-up band with, like, the stand-up, you know, bass and everything... He was really quiet and then he took me home and he said, okay, what kind of drugs are you on? And I was a real nerd, so I was like, what happened? He said, you've been talking to people who don't exist all night. And I got really really freaked out by that. And I stopped seeing things that clearly. But since I was a kid, I was very aware of people in my aunt's house, in the neighbor's house, at my school. I had premonitions all the time, which was great for surprise tests in math class. When one of my uncles died, I didn't understand why my family was sad because, well, he was right next to me in the car and we were driving to his house. You know, as a young kid, I didn't understand how we were driving to his house and he was sitting next to me in the car. But he was telling me that he was happy and everything was going to be okay. So, you know, I would have these experiences not knowing how to categorize them in the real world, if we want to call it that. But I was just always very aware of those things.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's a lot to take in. Um, uh, No, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, you know, we we always try to keep an open mind, and we appreciate you being candid with us. Um, uh, Would you now? You you talked about violin lessons, uh, and obviously, um, music is a big thing for you. And we, we see I guess I guess with, with, with um with your latest you know with Karen Christ's Gospel of the Witches, we see kind of the culmination. Is it is it fair to say we see the culmination of, of spirituality or maybe these supernatural experiences uh, combining with your with your creative side and your music?
2: Oh sure. It's it's really always been that way for me. You know, whatever I was doing I'm doing paintings, music, it's really just a combination of, you know, me, where I am in life and how I live in both worlds if you want to say you know even in even in the crisis days
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and and um so so i mean you you brought up crisis um i know that you moved to new york city in 1993 right
2: 1991
1: 1991 okay i got that wrong um did you move to new york city to pursue music
2: Yes, that's really what was in my heart. Um, My way to go to New York was, um, I was like, I'm going to get a scholarship to an art school because I didn't have money to just move on my own, you know, but um, I had this plan that I was going to get to New York via, you know, a scholarship to an art school, which I was also interested in, but that I was going to be in a band. Uh, And that's what happened. (laughs) I had a dream about it actually years before that because... Listening to music was, you know, when I was younger, was a really nice escape from my neighborhood. And I had this dream that both of my parents died, and I was wandering in the desert. And there was this literal group of guys sitting around a fire, like playing guitars, and they invited me to be part of that group. And I think it was like a year or two later that my dad died, and that at the exact moment when i got invited to be in the band crisis so it kind of all went together but um you know that was my ultimate plan for getting to new york even though i went to art school and i only stayed for one year my heart was set on finding a band to be in and that's what happened
1: okay and um yeah and, (laughs) and and crisis um you know some of our listeners may remember uh Crisis uh, eventually did sign with um, Metal Blade and put out uh, the the second and third albums on Metal Blade. But first, you put out Eight Convulsions uh, yes. on Two Damn Hype Records, which was kind of like a small underground imprint. They did put out albums by um, I think All Out War and Starkweather and a few other acts as well. Kind of like a cult hardcore label, if like, like if, if I could say from the early '90s, right?
2: Yeah, it was a label that was around. Uh, you know, you're from the East Coast, so you may remember like the hardcore scene and the metal scene were really divided for a while, and then they started blending and bleeding together. And so, Too Damn Hype was a label that was they started just before that blend and bleeding, you know, kind of came together. So he was focused on hardcore, but hardcore that was a little bit slightly different, um, you know. And that's how that's what Eight Convulsions was for us was three songs that we made as a cassette demo, and then we met. Met from Too Damn Hype in that time period when we were recording other songs, um, and he really wanted to put it out, and um, it seemed like a really interesting fit for us at that time.
1: Yeah, um, uh, just I, I didn't realize Too Damn Hype until I was doing the research, and I recognized the, um, the name. And you, you know, you talked about New York City, moving to New York City um, in that time period. Maybe could you tell us a little bit about. Uh, your initial um, uh, like trying to immerse yourself in the music scene and the the venues that were around and, and some of the people you, you came into contact with at that point
2: yeah again I'm really um, I'm not a good resource for these kind of things because I really uh, am kind of a lone wolf in my own world so when I moved to New York and wanted to get into the music scene I didn't really know where to look um, CBGB's was mostly yeah, there was mostly like a lot of Mm. not alternative rock but it was kind of a weird phase but a couple years later they started like the hardcore weekends again and I didn't really listen to hardcore music but I really loved the physicality of hardcore bands live and I was really attracted to that but that kind of came along later so when I first moved to New York I didn't really know where to look for music I kept trying to find it and I found like the Limelight Nighttime Club which was a club that had really cool bands play but they also just had more like dance and dance music um hang on while i close my door and remove the cat <laughs> uh. um and so it really I, I sort of delved into the art scene more than that i was going to galleries and a couple of years later, I would say right before 1993, so let's say maybe 1992 in there, I found this place called Gargoyle Mechanique. It was in the Lower East Side um, when it, back when it was dangerous. So I want to say it was like Avenue B and somewhere around 1st or 2nd Street. And it was this... Um, open mic they had all sorts of weird performances there so there were a lot of noise musicians who were like later involved in like or were involved in swans or john zorn there was a really interesting mix of people who would go here and perform and i just stumbled upon it one night and that was the closest thing i found to something that i was interested in because there would be like a guy sitting there with a bass bass rigged you know lay on his lap and he had tons of like distortion pedals and things hooked up and so people were doing really interesting noise music and deconstructed stuff that was intense some of it was a little violent but it was I was trying I didn't really know metal or hardcore I was trying to find it and this was the closest thing I found so I started doing these open mic nights I had a guitar and um and um a guitar cabinet and I had uh, later and I invited a friend to do stuff with me and so it was music that was just heavily atmospheric and you know full of effects pedals and things like that and so then in 1993 was when I was kind of getting frustrated with the universe like where is the music where are the bands where's my band and I happened to move out of my artsy community down to the World Trade Center and the housemate who was renting me the room at that time was involved in the the art scene, but he knew a lot of interesting bands, and he introduced me to the guitar player in Crisis, and that's how I got my audition for Crisis.
1: <laughs> and that would be, uh, if I get his name right, is that Afzal?
2: Yes, Afzal.
1: Afzal, okay. Um, and at that point, they uh, I, I guess he and a couple of other guys have been in another band, and they... They left because they um, they wanted to have a female uh, vocalist, but uh, uh, some other members didn't want a female. So there was, that was like a point of contention, something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. They had um, they had a band, you know, called Stalwart, and then Stalwart broke up, and yeah, they were wanting to, you know, form something new and have a female singer. And the bass player was uh, at the time. Um, was like, well, I don't want that. So it's either her or me. And so they said
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> And um, and I, yeah, I just happened to, you know, be connected to that band and I got invited to audition, you know, and and then the rest is history.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean on that note, talking about history, uh when your name is brought up, um you are brought up as kind of a pioneer in extreme music. Uh, as far as women are concerned, and in that day and age, especially when crisis first formed, you certainly didn't see as many women fronting extreme music bands um, with your type of vocals, certainly, and uh, and and not as um as much, maybe not not as common as it is nowadays. Uh, do you want to maybe talk about that, and if there was any uh, maybe pushback from within the scene, or or uh, you know any kind of um uh, uh con- hats, con- conflict, you know? yeah, like that.
2: Yeah. yeah, I really did not know that I would be venturing, you know, into a music world where it was mostly men. Um, I, I just didn't know that because, you know, I'd listened to a variety of music. And so um, right away I started going to shows with the band and we started playing shows right away. And I really was the only female there until, um, I don't know. We played a show with this band called Thirteen, who had also been doing very doomy, Mm -hmm. crusty kind of music. Um, But, you know, Crisis didn't really stay in New York either, because we also kind of felt, partly because of that, where do we belong? And, you know, started playing all over the East Coast and touring right away and found the same thing. And it was hard for me at times, not... It wasn't hard for me. I was of course, kind of fearless, but I didn't realize that it would be hard for other people. So there were times where you know I would be the only female at the show, and you know trying to get through the crowd to go to the stage, and some people would be like, "Who is this?" And um, you know I had a couple of people like threaten to fight me um, just because I was such an oddity to find at shows. And those were few and far between, and I could always hold down my own, you know, because Crisis was a band that also, once we got on stage, um, sort of demanded the attention of people because we were really physical and the music was really intense. Um, So any questions people had about me were usually Uh answered. (laughs) <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, there were, in, especially just also because of the environment of the scene, like people have it easier now. But in the early 90s, the scene was very like brawler. You know, you'd play a show and, and the crowd anywhere in the East Coast would be like, sh- you know, show me what you got. Why should I be watching you? And <laughs> so <laughs> you were like, well, hey, this is me. And uh, so there were times where I kind of had to hold on my own because there were a few times here and there where I'd be surrounded by clumps of people And, you know, I maybe had to punch my way out. Um, But, you know, and I did. And I was always fine. It didn't really happen too often. And um, mostly people were really cool. But it was definitely something different that people hadn't seen. So they would act a little bit weird (laughs) about me. Like they didn't know how to act around me until things started changing, you know. But mostly I had a lot of great experiences. And mostly I met a lot of people who, you know, welcomed me into that world so Mm -hmm. um but it was definitely it was a more violent scene you had to kind of hold on your own because I was a female there were people who were trying to test me and um you know I never I never uh shrunk away from that um but it it wasn't my it wasn't my favorite thing to do to be confrontational either but it was just you know the whole environment was more raw and more real
1: (laughs) yeah um and uh, you know, you spoke about um, peep, peep, good experiences you had meeting people. Um, just two things I wanted to ask you about uh, from roughly uh, you know, around the crisis era was you did um, a guest appearance on the Voivod uh, album Phobos on the song Forlorn from 97, right?
2: Uh, well, I wrote, uh, yes, um, live I did. I didn't end up recording on the album.
1: Oh, okay, I got that wrong. I'm sorry so so but you obviously then have a, re- a working relationship with the band at that at that point, right a collaborative uh, relationship for that song.
2: Yeah, Crisis had done a couple of tours with Voivod, and we got along really really, really well and they wanted me to come sing on the album. Um, I think I ended up co-writing some lyrics is what ended up happening because Crisis is about to go to New Orleans to record the Halloween. So that's why there was like a schedule of, um, you know, um, a schedule that was conflicted and I couldn't go do both things. But yeah, we got along really, really well on tour. In fact, some weird things happened, um, like the, um, I was always on stage barefoot and Piggy (laughs) asked me about it one day, the guitar player then, why am I always barefoot? And I said, you know, I don't feel grounded if I'm not, I, I need to feel the connection to the stage because I'm I feel kind of like I'm out of my body during the show. You know I'm jumping around and it, I just feel like there's a lot of energy moving through me and it helps me feel like I know where I'm connected. So he started playing barefoot after that. He was kind of teased me about it, and then he loved it. And then what another thing that happened was their bass player Eric. Um, there was, a, there was this sort of like fangirl who was following around the, the, the bands for a couple of shows and she really had the hots for Eric. So I was like, well, let me introduce them. They're both funny chatterboxes. Maybe they'll get along great. And sure enough, they hit it off really well. And so she decided you know, hey, you can ride with me in my car, Eric, to the next show, and I'll take, you know, and then we'll meet up with the band. Uh Well, luckily she did, did because that night was the night that um, it was Propane and Voivod. Their their RV caught on fire, and it caught on fire in Eric, the bass player's bunk, who luckily wasn't there, um, because, you know, I had introduced him to this Fangirl, um, but so these we had these really weird kind of things happening like that. These really interesting synchronicities that made the tour a little bit more interesting.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So I I did get a fact in the research wrong, but I'm glad uh, you were able to tell that story. That's interesting. Okay. So um, and and the the other thing I had was uh, I hope I got this right that you uh, you did some sort of collaboration with. Six Feet Under in two thousand one on the Sick and Twisted album, right? The song True or the song Sick and Twisted on the True Carnage album?
2: Yes, yeah. Chris invited me to sing and co-write lyrics, and so I did. They flew me down to Florida where they were recording, and I actually did record vocals for that song. It was really fun.
1: Uh cool. Yeah, awesome. I, I mean, what what was your um? That, you know, had had you uh, toured with Six Feet Under be- before that and and uh, yeah. gotten to know them or?
2: No, I didn't. I didn't know those guys. I think I knew some of the guys in the band just from playing shows with other bands. I think, you know, that was a band that had guys in different bands. Yeah, um, but yeah. I, I didn't know Chris personally, but he called me up and invited me to do that song. And um, I, I was like, well, let me, let me hear the song and see if I like it. <laughs> and um, but that's always my response, you know, yeah, because yeah. I really I'm not really like a musician. I either feel the vibe or I don't. I'm not good at like jamming and trying to figure things out. And I like the song. and. Um, And then he flew me down there and, you know, they took really good care of me for a few days while I did that song. And um, it was really funny because Chris was obsessed with the, you know, the movie Fight Club had just come out recently and they had some kind of extra. They released, you know, the movie with like an extra where someone was narrating things about the movie, like the commentary. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so he was obsessed with this commentary. So after we had our time in the studio, he kept playing me the Six Feet Under video that he recorded that had commentary because he was <laughs> so inspired. I just thought it was the funniest thing and I kept laughing and, you know, he just was, you know, a little confused. Like, does that mean she likes it or is it weird?
1: <laughs> <laughs> director's cut, Six Feet Under video.
2: Yeah, it's really funny. Awesome. But it was a really great experience. I mean, they took really good care of me.
1: Awesome. And, 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 and I, I mean, talking about um Six Feet Under, that, that uh, brings to mind Metal Blade Records. Uh, and, you know, we kind of left off with, with Crisis before. Um, I talked about the Eight Convulsions album, and we mentioned Dead Set Extermination comes out, I believe, in 96 on Metal Blade Records, right? I think so. Yeah, so, sounds good. We'll go with it. Um, yeah. What, can you just tell us a little bit about signing to Metal Blade Records, that process? And what that meant in 1996, because in 1996, a record label um, d- did a lot of different things and meant a lot of different things than it does right now.
2: Yeah, actually, Marco Barbieri was the one who signed Crisis to Metal Blade, who then went on to Century Media and helped out Gospel of the Witches. It's
0: good um,
2: to know people. Yeah, yeah, so he signed the band. He left the label like not long after the band signed. Um, and it was it was a different environment then. Like labels didn't really understand so much touring. Like Metal Blade was not really a label that supported touring. And we Crisis was all about touring. We're like we have to go out there. We have to hit the road. We have to, you know, hit the pavement and pavement and play live. But it was a big deal to sign to a label like that. Uh, labels, you know, there wasn't so so much DIY back in those days. I mean, when Crisis signed to Metal Blade, there was not even any like online you know promotion you did postcards through the mail you had your mm-hmm. mailing list yep. or you did tours with bigger bands and people found out about you because they would go to the clubs much more regularly there was a real strong club culture and then there were magazines you know like actual magazines not online magazines yet so doing interviews was really important and the label was really like the doorway to make all those things happen it's a very different world now so that was yeah an important thing.
1: Yeah. I I imagine like, was there a particular, um, like, was there a particular moment where you were like, like, okay, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, what, what the label does. Like, like, did you immediately start getting higher profile shows or was it more of like a gradual, um, change?
2: Uh, it was it was a little bit of both. I mean, Metal Blade, we, Crisis got offered a lot of tours that Metal Blade didn't want to. So labels in that day gave, gave you financial support. Like if you were doing a bigger um, tour, you needed a van and sometimes you needed to buy on that tour. You know, there was more money involved than you could do on your own. And um, Metal Blade was really not supportive of touring. So we had to do a lot of it on our own. Unfortunately, we missed a lot of bigger um tours, you know, because of that, which was a real bummer. But we did get a lot of other opportunities and yes, when you had label power in those days, it meant like, okay, this is a reputable band. Um uh, and sometimes the clubs would work with the label to find out who else they could put with you. You know, it was a more it was a much more collaborative thing and um you know, people were working together. And so you would tell people, "Yes, we're a national touring act." It was, you know, it was like yeah, something you yeah. put on your business card, and it did mean something. It meant that you know you were likely to get guarantees at clubs um, versus just going and ending up with scraps of a few mm-hmm. dollars at the end. It meant that you know you would you were treated. It, it was more of like a business deal, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was um, there was some security there.
1: Yeah.
2: But uh, it was up to you to like prove yourself, and then the, the promoters decided whether they liked you in person, and whether they liked the way people responded to you, and then you—that's it. You built your relationship from there, and luckily, crisis played live so much that you know we, when we first started going out, we just started you know building reputations with clubs, and um, you know had a nice network all on our own from that.
1: All right, and, and um, this, this, maybe this is kind of like an oddball question, but maybe you know where I'm going. As you start to navigate the music industry, uh, like in more professional terms, in terms of the, the, um, the, the promoters, the clubs, the, the circles, uh, you're, you're moving in, um, touring and things like that. Uh, in terms of your, your supernatural uh, experiences, do you know, is there anything about the music industry um, that, that you start to experience or learn?
2: Oh yeah, right from the get go, I knew um, I would have premonitions like, you know, this, uh oh, this guy's gonna flip out in the middle of the show. Or, oh, this promoter is gonna stiff us. Or um, sometimes violence would break out at shows. So I'd tell the guys ahead of time, like, oh, let's keep an eye on, I think something's gonna happen. Um, You know, a lot of like warnings and premonitions about things. Um, in fact when I started well, when Crisis was touring a lot, you know, touring in a van wasn't always so safe. You had to sometimes lay on top of your gear and um there were some incidences where we almost got into some serious accidents because like the traffic ahead of us, you know, slammed on the brakes. And, you know, when you have a trailer attached to your van, you can't slam on brakes or you could do those alligator rolls off the side of the freeway. Yeah. Oh. There were times where I just Um, I would imagine there were like four angels on the corner of the vehicle and I would just, you know, ask them for protection and there was a moment where that's what ended up happening actually was um, we were, all the traffic in front of us basically slammed on the brakes really suddenly and we were slamming on our brakes as much as we could without, you know, having the, the trailer jackknife but the brakes. We're just screeching. There was no nothing else that we could do. There was no brakes left from, you know, braking so hard. And we thought either our van's going to go into the truck in front of us and our driver's going to, you know, lose their legs Um, or what else do we do? We couldn't go to the right. We couldn't go to the left or we go down the ditch. And I just started in my head, like screaming, you know, for the angels to protect us, not knowing if angels existed. I mean, I didn't know if they existed. Um, I just thought it was my imagination, but let this is all I had to work with. And I, suddenly I saw that everything was okay. And I laid back in the chair and said, okay, okay, we're fine. We're fine. Oh, great. I'm so glad that's over. I was breathing. And my bandmates all said that I did that before that, that ended, like it was like I was living the moment that everything was fine and safe before, while everyone else was still in the middle of hoping we wouldn't die. And we did end up coming out fine, but I would just experience things in a different time frame than they did in those moments of like urgency i don't know if i made that clear and then there were times where you know people would mess with us and i felt like there was a presence watching over the band that would you know get us some justice and there always was that justice
1: (laughs) okay all right so um uh all right so we know not to mess with you (laughs) uh uh now and talking about crisis um in 2004 you put out the last crisis album uh like sheep led to slaughter on the end records
0: okay
1: um and uh, i don't know if you want to talk uh, as much as you'd like to talk about um what led to crisis disbanding after that uh and how how soon after the release of the uh, the album does the band um cease to work together
2: remember how soon it was the end records was like an amazing label oh they're one of like the best labels ever they were
1: very very diverse label
2: they were very, But just as the way they behaved, you know, with, they really loved what we did and they said, we're going to support you. And they did. Like mm-hmm. the owner of the label was always available to talk things out. Ideas, you know, there was for a lot of people who were on a label an inaccessibility. You you talk to your representative at the label and you could never really talk to the guy at the top. You know, with that, it was the basic dynamic of a record label. But we had a direct line of communication with the owner of the end and he was really supportive, you know, got us the van for touring always in dialogue, working on plans together, just really like a wonderful experience. Mm. So I i think we're on the, the end for I don't know how long, you know, that was like lifetimes ago for me, but um, for a little while, because we toured a lot, and we were about to um, you know, we were about to come off the road and start working on the new record. Um, I left the band and uh, I, don't really want to get, <laughs> I don't really want to get into it too much, because um you know just because i did i just went through like a big life mm-hmm. change and i wanted to go figure out what the changes were about and so i left but i'm not sure how long it was i want to say two years after we signed a label but i'm i'm really bad with time so i'm not quite okay. sure all
1: right we're, we're not we're not the uh, the irs or the, the cia <laughs> no. just, yeah and that that's that's fair enough you know we we just have to ask uh you know a lot of times i ask questions that um uh, the, you know, I, I know that the, as a fan, I would want to know. You know, um, oh sure. Uh, so um, uh, you leave Crisis, um, and we, you know, if I'm not mistaken, we don't really see much uh, from Karen Crisis in terms of recorded music until you work with, if I'm pronouncing it right, Ethel Duath. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. Basically, after I left crisis, I moved up to the Bay Area in California and I didn't want to have anything to do with music for a really long time. I wanted to understand like who I was without music, um, you know, at the root of who I am. I mean, I know it sounds like a silly thing. It's no, I wasn't lost. No, I didn't need to find myself. It was more of an existential thing like. What's my value outside of music and what do I really want in life? Not in terms of being in a band or not, but how do I want to live my life? Do I want to look at it as abundant or lacking? Do I want to be competitive or do I want to be cooperative? These kind of questions. You know, what really makes me tick? What are my mental powers? And then, of course, I had all these, you know, you can use the word supernatural questions. And so I was working through all of those things. Um, Kind of going deep into that journey and then in 2008, I think it was, I mean, no, 1998, 1998, a few years later, um, I ended up, you know, going to Italy because I was supposed to make like an album that was more like a solo project for me, but um, that didn't work out. At the same time, I met Davide from Ewaldus. His band was, you know, happening at that time. Well, they just had released a new album, and he was the guitar player brought in to work with me on my project with a third person. Now, again, that thing didn't work. But I was in Italy, you know, and that's where we met, and we had made, We just said, well, let's just keep going. Um, and so Davide came back to America, and we were, you know, working on music. But it did take a while. Um, till Gospel of the witches got going we were experimenting and he was writing and he put out some more, of his own projects. Like in that meanwhile he put out manuscripts Don't Burn and he did another Evil Do with album. I did some you know vocals on the sort of the E P and then the full length. Mm -hmm. And then Gospel of the Witches was like all ready to go, you know, in the meanwhile. So it did take a while of development. And I wasn't doing any music other than, you know, working with Davide at that time. And I didn't I didn't really want to. I kind of Wanted to decide if when I do, you know, this music again that we were working towards. What do I want to say? What I, what is the atmosphere I'm looking for? What do I want to express? And until I know what that is, I don't feel like it's going to come out.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Um, and uh, uh, the. The uh, by by the way for the listeners the um, I, I, again I'm going to pronounce I'm from Long Island I pronounce a lot of things very <laughs> very wrong I'm sorry for that but the F, uh, the Ethel uh, duet as I say albums uh, it was the That's um, on Death and Cosmos EP and then yeah. uh, in 2013 the Hemmed by Light uh, Shaped by Darkness album both on Agonia Records yes yeah i just we recommend a lot of music as we go along for the listeners that's awesome. and uh yeah and um uh then eventually though it seems like a pretty uh, i guess like chronologically smooth transition because the first um uh karen Christ's gospel of the witches album is salem's wounds in 2015 right
2: uh yes i think that's right
1: <laughs> yeah so so uh that I know that you um, there was like a little bit of uh, like a, a crowdfunding uh, campaign that went on for that, right? Or, or was it or was it the second one, Covenant?
2: No, for yeah, for the first one it was. Um, in fact, since I you know hadn't done any music in a while, um, I, I you know the whole crowdfunding thing had just started, and I thought it was. I didn't know if we'd be able to raise enough money from that for for the album. But what I really liked about that was the sort of connective possibilities, like you do a little film, you show people what you're thinking, not just like, hey, here's the album, and see, you know, and try to express the ideas behind the creative process and see who kind of connects with that. So I really like that interactive possibility there. Um, You know, it was weird to kind of go say, hey, do you want to fund our album before it's ready? Um, But it ended up being a really fun and interesting thing. Um, and, and definitely challenging, but it did start with that, and then Century Media came in and said, "Hey, we'll be like your your final crowdfunder." <laughs> um, we'll, you know, we'll do because we did like a licensing deal with them where we still had, you know, a certain amount of rights, if you want to mm. say it that way, or you know, um, options. That's that's how it started. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you know, moving moving on into into um, uh, the Covenant album, which you put out just last year in two thousand nineteen. On uh, oral music, um, that's uh, just just from like the, I guess the media I've seen around it and some of your other ventures um, with your more, I guess we'll say like spiritually inclined ventures. Uh, it, it seems like you've kind of cultivated a community around yourself that goes beyond music uh, in, into the, the, I guess, we'll, is it, it's technically you could say Italian shamanism.
2: Oh, you mean about like the books that I'm writing and the anthropological research that I'm doing?
1: Yes, exactly. And you have videos of that on your YouTube channel to promote that. And you actually, um, you wrote the uh, the book. Um holy witches and medicine women volume one. Oh, italy italy's italy witches said. and medicine women i can't read my own handwriting italy's <laughs> italy's witches and medicine women volume one the the whole point i'm getting at is that a lot of that ties into the music uh and yeah. the and the albums of um karen christ's gospel of the witches right
2: yes it did it was kind of an unexpected thing i mean when i first met davide in italy um you know there were already that word you used before supernatural things happening and so since the music project didn't work out, we did, we stayed at a certain place in Italy and then traveled, hit a car and we drove around and you know, we were researching things and having these really incredible experiences. And then when the Gospel of the Witches, Salem's Wounds album came out, um, that was really tied into Italy and rural magic and shamanism of Italy as well. And after that album came out and we played some live shows, um, I went back to Italy to do this research um, on my own. And that's where I got connected to this whole, like, network they're not really connected to each other, but I found a whole world of like rural healers that practice this indigenous shamanism there that's very much like Central Asian and Siberian shamanism. You know, in these little mountain towns and little it's it's all very, you know, daily life it's very interesting. But that's you know, my journey sort of took me there, and I started. I wrote one book. I'm writing another one about those that research and those experiences, and then kind of came back to the Covenant album. And so, yes, the those experiences in the real world and the spiritual world is weaving into you know the gospel of the witches music for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, very interesting. I I, um, I watched some of the videos on your YouTube channel uh and um you described uh some of these as living legacies of a pre-pagan religion um yeah. that 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 worshipped like a feminine deity right
2: yeah yeah if you i won't go into a history lesson
1: here but... no well i mean that this is also why uh, people could read your book if they want to explore sure. that further um and there's like a, there's even a video view with like a, a little old lady uh and she's uh you know, uh, I guess uh, doing some sort of um, uh, practice to remove a generational curse or something like that.
2: Yes, yes. It's you know basically these are traditions like there's magic and there's you know religion and then shamanism and basically if we if we're just going to talk really quickly here about shamanism in the most basic terms, it really means like traditions for curing and bringing balance to life that has. You know some kind of intervention from a higher consciousness you know whether you want to say that's angels or spirit helpers or goddesses or whatever term you want to use and so the traditions of rural italy go back to these like domestic goddess cults of prepaid what i mean by pre-paganism is before the spiritual myths showed that men were like you know the you know responsible for legacies of children originally the foundational spiritual practices looked at the universe as being like a giant womb because on earth there was the parallel of the physical woman you know giving birth through her body and so it really wasn't about man versus woman one being the other you know better than the other it was just that Um, You know the ideas about nature and the universe and the energy that operates was seen as being feminine like everything comes out of this sort of giant womb if we want and the practices were venerating that energy as being um, like the great mother like everything comes out of this great universal mother and um, it's, it would be a little bit complicated to go into it, but the rural traditions are based on this idea of the mothers and the family being the operators of the healing magic, you know whether it's for they're their curing the illnesses in their own families or they're taking care of illnesses and curses for the community. It's this feminine centric you know practice of medicine that has to do with energy and spirits and the effect of spirits on the physical body
1: okay and and you know as you said you know you have your, your book and you're working on volume two so people could uh you know go to that uh resource if they want to explore that more and if i'm not mistaken i don't know if you're still doing uh the podcast but you had the ancient ways for modern times podcast right
2: i did i really uh, would like to bring that back around because i it was really fun to do that i haven't been doing it only because the book writing involves me going to live in Italy and then I come back and process and write the books and you know then we recorded Covenant along the way so um once this new book is it's almost finished I would like to get back into the podcast so we'll see what happens
1: okay yeah because I, I saw the video and just for the listeners um I believe it was still available on blogtalkradiocom dot slash Karen crisis
2: you really did so yeah, much homework. I, every
1: every episode we do that's that's that's, that's our uh, that's how we that's how Will we do. is good. Will yeah. Is good. <laughs> yeah, we learn we learn a lot going along the way, uh, and we you know we just want to um, uh you know cut cut past um the cut the crap so to speak right Karen you know what I'm saying and and get to the point and and ask you questions about um you know what we know about you, so nice. so we do a lot of research and we try to try to get in depth here, um and on that note. Uh, a question that's kind of been burning uh, in in our hearts uh, for a while now here at the Heavy Hole Podcast, because we're generally more of a death metal, grindcore-centric podcast. (laughs) We noticed that Bob and Ross from Immolation... Um, yeah. are like kind of like live, I guess live session musicians for Gospel of the Witches, Gospel of Witches.
2: They were. They were for Salem's Wounds. Ross okay. actually contributed vocals to the album. He was uh, my sort of like my backup singer for a handful of songs because I really wanted to layer my own vocals, but I also wanted, I mean Ross's voice is so deep and warm that I really wanted to have his voice in the album. So he did, and that led to talks like, Hey, would you and Bob be into being like part of the live band? And so we played a few really great sold out shows and they were amazing people, like best attitudes, you know, out of any human beings you'll meet on the planet. Super helpful. Just super positive. Like, no matter what challenge comes along, they're like, we'll make it happen. They're just (laughs) super cool. But what ended up happening along the lines, and the reason it didn't work out to keep going is a good one. They actually. You know, those guys finally quit their day jobs and decided to to tour like full time for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. So it's a happy reason, but you know, our schedules were all too different, um, and it, which is fine. You know, but we did get to play some awesome shows with them as the live band um, for that album.
1: Yeah. Um. So j- just kind of like an interesting tie-in. Um. To, to see those two guys on stage and it's not Immolation um. Was was yeah. interesting. But uh, so was that, I guess, was that like your first time collaborating with them? I was curious if maybe you had known them from like earlier on in your earlier uh, New York scene days.
2: I did sort of, you know, I mean, I would run into, I remember running into Bob a lot at shows. And he was always a super like gentleman. In fact, I remember I told him this when we started rehearsing all together. I said, oh, it was so funny. So many people in the scene were like terrified of you. They were like, oh, that guy Bob is so so scary you know and i was like really he was really every time i met him he was just so nice They're like you met him so i told him he had this legendary reputation for being like this you know terrifying (laughs) creature out there for whatever reason but so i just sort of knew bob in that way like seeing him at shows i don't know if crisis ever played with immolation it's possible in the early days i don't I kind of don't think so but it was more like we knew each other from being around the scene we knew a lot of the same people that kind of a thing and so when I decided to ask Ross to sing it just kind of felt natural and comfortable (laughs) it didn't feel like I was reaching out to a total stranger because you know we were in so many of the same circles um and they're really really down to earth to talk to so yeah it ended up being this you know some cool time spent together
1: awesome um and uh yeah we actually just uh it was only a few months ago that we saw emulation play in queens uh just the three of us were at that show and yeah. um it's really great to see them on like you like on that live push where they're touring a lot now and they're it, i guess kind of getting their getting their um they're just just dudes right
2: yes it's amazing and they seem so happy it's really really great
1: yeah excellent band uh emulation shout out to them um. So, so you know, like I said, that brings us to 2019. The album Covenant on Oral Music. Um, you, you're it's available on Bandcamp, and I believe you're selling like the physical format and the vinyl in the United States uh, from the band from yourself, right?
2: Yeah, on gospelofthewitches.com, the band is selling like the double fluorescent violet vinyl, and it comes with, you know, a drawing from me. And then the label themselves through Bandcamp, which they operate, like we are not operating that Bandcamp, they sell CDs and baby pink vinyls. And like our vinyls come with a digital download, and then theirs do too. Theirs are shipped from Italy. And that's a really cool label. Like Davide knew them from his days of Ethel Duhuf, and Um, What I really liked is at this point in my life, I'm a little bit um, like a scraggly old timer about labels. Like I don't really they, you know, I really don't um, like the idea of like handing over my music to a label who's really not doing a lot of effort to get the music out. So I really wanted to have the kind of scenario with this album because, you know, when when Crisis signed to Century Media or, you know, joined with Century Media as a licensing thing for Salem's Wounds, um, things were good for a while. But then the label got bought by Sony and then Sony bought, you know, the label. And then it was like we couldn't even get a hold of anyone there to get the copies of the rest of our vinyl or CDs. It's just like nobody wanted to deal with us on the phone. And I thought, eh, I don't think I want to go through that with this label. And so oral music. Um, offered us this cool deal that we could, you know, press CDs or vinyl in the States, you know, mostly for shows or just dealing with fans directly. But I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, a lot of labels don't allow you to do that. It's like a competition thing, of course, but I thought that was super cool. So that was something that I was willing to do in terms of like, um, sort of having a label deal, you know, um, and yeah, and and so we ended up signing with with Oral Music's for this album.
1: Awesome, um, and uh, you know, just I, like I like we always say on the podcast to be respectful of your time. Um, before we close out, uh, is uh, you know, you you it's like you have your uh you have so many irons in the fire, um, and things that that you're uh you're working on um outside of music even. What can uh people who follow you look for in two thousand twenty? Um, in terms of are there going to be shows? Music. Uh, are you Are you doing anything more in terms of uh, your your uh, capacity as a spiritual medium, things like that?
2: Yeah, I, I will have plenty on the fire. Like on my side, I have a new book called Italian Magic: Secret Lives of Women coming out in the next few months here. But the band has been rehearsing to play live, which I'm really excited about, and we want to start as soon as like the summertime. So we're getting things in order on our end, um, and, you know, eyeballing the East Coast for summertime. So anyone listening to this <laughs> wants to throw some shows our way, we are really excited to – it's been really a while, a long time since we played live. And that's, you know, that's what hopefully the year is going to be full of is, um, you know, playing some of those shows. We've got our lineup, um, you know, our lineup flushed out. And we've just been getting ready. And so I'm really, really excited about that. I will, you know, I have my book coming out. I have an online school called Golden Bough School Online, which, you know, teaches about some of the Italian traditions and also people who are having interesting experiences. Like, how do I handle this? And that's kind of where I help people do that. And, but, you know, you can keep an eye on gospelofthewitches.com and, uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. And then my website is com, And, you know, I just kind of keep people updated through that. And um, I'll probably be traveling around for my book and hopefully the band, um, you know, huh. as we make more plans. Because we are planning things right now. So, um, but I'm really excited, to, you know, to play live again. It's been a while and I'm really excited, um, you know, about Davide and, and Fabian who, who are on the album. You know, the trio of us are... Um, you know, going to be playing live with our two uh, new live members and um, yeah, I'm really, really excited to get back out there. So maybe we'll see you out on the East coast.
1: Excellent. We wish you the best of luck with that. That's great. Thank Um, you. Yeah. And um, I, I hate to blindside you, but I I think I forgot to mention in the emails, we usually ask our guests to close out by recommending um, one of their favorite older music releases and one of their favorite newer music releases of any genre uh, just loosely, you know, just something old and something new that you would recommend to us and our listeners um, that you
2: really like. Okay, let's see. Lately, I've been listening to um, Carpenter Brut That's spelled Carpenter, B R U T. And the name of the album is Trilogy. It's, yeah. like a-, it's
0: a great, great album.
2: Oh, awesome. Okay, I'm not alone in that. Yeah, Roller
0: Mobster is one of the sickest
2: songs. I found I was house-sitting for a friend who has a huge collection of music and dog-sitting, and Davide came over with Fabian. We were having a meal together, and he's like, Oh, I think you'd like this carpenter brood. I was like, What is this? And Yeah, so I love it. I've been obsessing over that. Like, When I Need an Energy Boost, that's a great album to put on, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a a kick-ass album. You're having a bad day, put that on.
2: Yeah. Just mow
0: over everyone in your way.
2: Yeah, but you become a superhero immediately. You're like, I can do this. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, That's interesting,
1: too, because we were recently talking uh, on the podcast about Tom's uh, adventures in dog sitting. uh, (laughs) So you guys have a lot of comments. uh,
2: Dogs are amazing. I have a friend who has a super cute um, dog. Oh, gosh, I'm so bad with music. Okay, I guess the other album that I still obsess over regularly is, uh, what is the name of it? It's a, the first Wardruna album. You know, the one with like the mostly white cover?
0: Wardruna. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah uh, I, don't, I don't
0: know that one. I can't come in as clutch as I just did. <laughs> you only get one of those.
2: <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce the album title, but um, they're, the name of the band is spelled W-A-R-D-R-U-N-A. They're like a, a contemporary band who have sort of recreated... I think Norwegian, you know, instruments that have a shamanic edge to them. Um, but I really like their first album, and I've been listening to it for years. <laughs> so, and then if we want to go really, really far back in time, I would say Ein Stützen and Neubauten was my very favorite band in like the early '80s, when um, they had an album called Burning Soul, Zilla Brent. Is what my favorite. That that really influenced me a lot as a singer when I was learning how to use like a four track and before I joined Crisis. So that was a very influential album.
1: Oh, those those Tascam and Fourstex, uh cassette yes. four tracks. Oh my God! Don't get me started. Yeah. Yes. I <laughs> could st- stay up all night uh, playing with those things with a set of headphones oh, okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> so all right, well, Karen, uh, thank you so much for your time and for speaking to us um, oh, about your. Thank you your or your ongoing career and creativity um and experiences in life uh any just any parting words uh for your fans and for listeners of our podcast
2: oh well thanks for your time thanks for listening all these many years and um yeah i guess if you are interested in you know vinyl we still have them for sale on our website and please keep an eye for us you know um to play live in your neighborhood but mostly just thank you for listening
1: <laughs> All right. Th- thank you very much again for your time, Karen. We appreciate thank you guys. it, and uh, we'll be in touch when we're about to post this episode in a few weeks.
2: Awesome. You have a great night. Thanks so much. Right. You Thanks, too. Karen. Take
1: care. All the best. Bye. <laughs> Okay, Karen Crisis. Uh, very interesting conversation with Karen Crisis. Uh, long and diverse career, uh, not just limited to music. Um, she's got her own little community uh, going around her and what she does now.
0: That's the third author we've talked to, by the way. That's oh wow, interesting. The intellectual
1: whole. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. gl- I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, for for shout to all the librarians in the house. So uh, so yeah so. If, uh, if you're uh, maybe an older Karen Crisis fan of the band Crisis, uh, check out her new work. Check out her book and, and her uh, activities online. You can check out her YouTube channel as well. Um, and if you're a, a newer fan, you can always go back and check out some of those classic Crisis records and everything else. We thank her a lot for her time. Man, grab that hot pink vinyl. That's one, one Yeah, hot pink vinyl. Do you, now... Do you guys have anything to recommend to me that's hotter than a hot pink vinyl? Tonight?
0: I do have an interesting yes. vinyl as my old. But let's <laughs> uh, do our news first.
1: Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, speaking of hot, we'll I get don't... we'll get to that. But this just in. He said, "Oh, news. Okay, my bad." I'm, was, <laughs> oh, oh right. all <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'll I'll, I'll, ra- I, I'll ride that, this.
1: I was I'm. I don't even have kids. I make dad jokes. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> I'll ride this dirty segue. Uh, you know, in in terms of. Uh, since we're getting all hot right
1: now. Polish that segue up for me. That was rough. I got you. Tom,
0: pull up a band called Hot Graves.
1: Oh, boy. I love that name right off the bat. (laughs) That's just crazy.
0: So this week, new boys in here for you. The band Hot Graves, their upcoming EP, uh, Haunted Graves, uh, out February 28th. Should be out by the time this drops on Redefining Darkness Records. Uh, It's a four-piece from Gainesville, Florida. Heavy, fast paced D beat, crusty thrash mm-hmm. uh, that dive into these, these very deathened territories. Um, almost like it kind of just hits you over the head when, when you're like, oh shit, like they're gonna do this now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different sense of, of, of crossover and mixing, man. I really like the way that they're doing it. Um, they have this this really sweet, uh, like, get your ass at the front of the stage, grab the microphone, pile on, like sort of anthemic vibe. Um, in in these, these few tracks on this EP. Um, hot fucking graves, man. Uh, check out their other releases. They got two full lengths uh, that have come out within the time span that we're not going to talk about it. We got 2015's Magnificent Death, 2011's Nights in White
1: Phosphorus. <laughs> heavy as cool. shit.
0: A uh, bunch of the EPs and splits kind of mixed in through there. Um, this is, you know... Wall in the heavy hole podcast i'm gonna start this new thing right now i'm giving this 10 out of 10 beer in my hand fist pumps hot fucking graves all about this band right now so i don't know what do you guys think
1: it's tough very tough stuff yeah digging this a lot i like i always like a good d beat where it drives like that and i also like that new rating system the gang vocals with the kind of like uh raw production like raw crusty it's 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 an interesting mix here Mm -hmm. energy is energy is uh cool man i like it that's pretty fun
0: Sounds a little classic, doesn't it? Yes. So my new one tonight is uh, this band Premature Burial and their album Anti-Human came out on Self-Made God Records, May 2019, from Spain. It's a one-man project by J.M. Dopico, also known as Dopey, from bands like Dead Mask, Body Bag, Dishammer, and Matichazzo. Ah, okay. This guy's the man. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> his metalum is crawling yeah, my, my, with great I'm work. a big
1: fan of Machetazo, and I uh, I did a, I downloaded that Dishammer EP a while back when it came out, man. Yeah, I'm not surprised. This is just it has that quality that kind of like old school Venom Hellhammerish mm-hmm. kind of thing going on, that raw first wave black metal type of thing.
0: Yeah, it's go. um, it, it's uniquely heavy metal and doom with like this weird. Um, I don't know. The the production quality with this kind of music isn't really like a pair-up you hear that much. This has a lot of gallop to it. This is um, what I would call lurch. <laughs> this Shit lurches.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. This guy knows what he's doing, and his aesthetic seems to be blending those classic first-wave kind of bands um, with an updated sense of brutality. Absolutely. Yeah, cause Cause it really is, put it. This is brutal, but not in the sense that we talk about yeah. brutal. Um,
0: but yeah, it, it's a really cool album. There's some... Uh, interludes throughout it, kind of giving it some space, some droney sections, uh, slower songs than the one we're listening to right now. It sounds like this guy recorded this in candlelight.
1: <laughs> I kind of know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, th- this sounds great. I got to get into this, Tom.
0: Yeah, and uh, he played everything himself, does all the vocals. I love the vocal yeah. performance. He's a sick drummer. That's what he plays in most of the projects. Cool. Yeah, oh, oh, a
1: yeah. oh, total like OG uh, death metal gore grind um uh, character man J- just mm-hmm. based off of my knowledge of machi tazo and Dishammer and some of the other stuff what a refreshing
0: taste for guitar tone like in this right now that like like exactly like how you said man like a nod to the classic like first wave uh black metal stuff but but modernizing it just a little bit you know just yeah. so it sounds good in those really expensive headphones you can buy now yeah so check it out this is premature burials anti-human out on self-made
1: god records great label by the way Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So, Cough and Curse, a uh, two-man band from Chile. They've been around since 2012, and this has ceased to be uh, their first actual full-length after a series of EPs and demos um, and uh, a split. It was actually just released January uh, 2020, so it just came out, fresh out of the press on Memento Mori Records. And if you're like me, uh, it's a little bit difficult navigating the sea of OSDM bands. That have come out the last few years. I'm not mad mm-hmm. at them. Not mad at anybody. Don't say I'm a hater. Okay.
0: It's one of those rare seas of musical trends where you're never going to find something terrible. There is a certain quality that gets lost in
1: that. There's a saturation. Yeah. Uh, and you and it gets harder and harder to. And I've talked about. It. I mean, it, it comes and goes in, in extreme music. You know, there's there's always points where certain styles are more popular than others, and there's plenty of great OSDM bands only point I'm making is this band is one of those great OSDM bands that I really enjoy and to me stands out a little bit like I said Cough and Curse had a series of uh, a few other um, EPs and demos I have to go check those out now because I really enjoyed this full length it just kind of randomly came up in my algorithm so I put it on uh, YouTube and I uh, I'm impressed by the songwriting the riffs uh, yeah, dude. Riffs, man there yeah, there's something like kind of like a, a notch above I, I feel like compared to like yeah. I was saying the saturation osDM scene mm-hmm. um, and it's a two-man project so I feel like there's that kind of like linear quality to the songwriting, not too many chefs so to speak yeah. you know yeah. uh, and they do, they're doing something I really like so that's like a win-win for me is that it's it you know whoever this guitarist is who's the main songwriter uh, you know he and I I think would 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 probably get along you know we probably <laughs> have similar playlists in our iPod, you know
0: Vocals are cool too. They're very. They're a little more like um, I use this word all the time. That that cave vocal, the cavernous vocal. It's kind yeah. of not doing that as much, giving uh, it a little more to stand out on.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you hear these guitars, uh, the guitar solos, the the good. Like I said, the guitar work really sets this apart in a lot of ways. Uh, so many great guitarists out there, but this is awesome. The vocals, like you said, they almost have like a Metal of Death quality to them. This is not—I wouldn't classify this album as Metal of Death or this band as Metal of Death—but mm-hmm. the vocals are kind of there with that caveman quality,
0: right? A little more gurgly, as opposed to uh, yeah. like a foreboding, breathy kind of thing that there happens.
1: Yeah, a little, little angry, you know, in, in a way, man. But yeah, I—I mm-hmm. I, uh, I heard this album, really enjoyed it. I'm going to sit with it a little bit more and uh, probably check out some of their older stuff, man. So, nice. uh, and an interesting thing too—we we, we synced up because. Justin, you recommended Hot Grave. There you go. Right? Yep. You recommended Premature Burial, Tom, and I Mm. recommended Coffin Curse. Oh, man. Yeah.
0: We're underground right now.
1: Everybody's underground right now. Crazy, right? So I I love this, and I got a soft spot in my heart, too, I think, for uh, like two man bands. (laughs) Uh, You know, where it's just like one guy playing all the guitars and one guy playing the drums. So I, I just feel like a lot of times, maybe not always, but bands with that kind of stripped down lineup, two and three pieces, they hit a stride with the uh with the strong writing. Like I said, mm. you know, not not a uh, not too many chefs, you know. Right. That's it, man. Check this out. This is uh Coffin Curse with Cease to Be on Memento Mori Records, oh. hot off the press January 2020. You bring in Justin? Alright,
0: so my classic boy this week, uh, I have Vortex out of Japan. Uh, this is their one and only full length um, from 2001, Colors Out of Emptiness, which I think is a, a kind of, you know, rough translation of the Lovecraftian, uh, the Lovecraft novel, Colors Out of Space, right? It's kind of the Japanese version of that. Okay. Because this happens to be a kind of Lovecraft. Worshipping technical death metal band From Japan um, I've been listening to this band mostly of today uh, As, as I've found them And, and uh, this is kind of what I come up with um, This is the, the Japanese love child Of if uh, if Cynic, death, and a young Gorguts drank too much Sake and had a wild night in the streets Of Rapunji And you know got a really tiny little hotel room And they come out And this is the weird fucking bastard Child vortex hard to find a lot of information about this band other than you know blog posts uh from proggy tech death heads like talking about how much they love this shit um they had four demos before this between 95 and 99 uh but good luck finding them there's it's not on discogs it's not on youtube it's not you can't even event. get a hard copy for way too much money can't find a website where even that would be a possibility wow but this album colors out of emptiness is, is really cool man there's like you know if you take like a, a death proggy sort of band or a riff in general like this is leaning more towards the death and they kind of open up uh, periodically in these songs with like a kind of like cleaner jazzier more you know an the vein of cynic type style but even you know stuff in here is kind of like what japanese were interpreting that late 90s mishoga even uh I would say this is like a pre-Sumerian, pre-gent kind of thing, um, with way more fucking balls and clout to it. Wow,
1: it, interesting, and I, know, I see what you mean. Yeah, this and it's pretty crazy. And it's hard to to ignore
0: like the 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 chuck from, from death like influence on the vocals. It sounds like it, it, it sounds like him on vocals. You know, the, the Japanese version of him. <laughs> there's a little goofiness uh, at some points throughout this record where there's uh, English singing does you know being, from, being anyway. from a japanese band but it's 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 completely tolerable and and the music behind it is 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 smart and fucking cool so uh, really happy i found this and i hope i hope you guys like it man vortex from japan i was looking at the track listing and stuff and i think some of these songs were re-recorded from earlier demos mm-hmm. um but i man, I'd really love to like get my hands on some of that like seeing what they were doing in the mid late 90s mm-hmm. uh So I'm doing a weird flex tonight. I'm bringing in a classic power violence grindcore band, Gride. Wow. All right, Tom. Yeah, from uh, the Czech Republic. Yes, this sir. Their 2003 EP, Tanic Blaznu. Okay. Absolutely killer release. The energy behind this is ridiculous. Um, experimental with the recording stuff. There's these weird electronic elements, techniques with, with like, it sounds like they're cutting tape almost. Uh, the drumming is ridiculous. This is, this is like, um, Gride's been around since 96. They have their feet wet with this whole grindcore thing. This one sticks out to me. I always liked it. I was able to get the vinyl for a reasonable price. Also, I just showed Justin and Will. The vinyl is strange because the whole EP is on one side. It's a 12-inch where, uh, it's all on one side. It's blank. And then on the other side, there's, like, some scribble graffiti of a man it's like i don't know etched artwork right it's yeah. like etched in there yeah it's a scratched in yeah. guy yeah. so he's all scratched in there so i thought that was cool i really like the packaging too check out this art it looks like it's coming in a grocery bag yeah this is good stock right here yeah <laughs> it's very diy and then there's the, the artwork it looks like it's all from different artists what awesome
1: packaging really impressive record
0: yeah so that's that check out gride's tannic blaznu
1: Okay, so I brought in Genital Grinder from France. Uh, this this band actually put this album out in 2003 on, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Adipo Siri Records, a uh, French label that put out a lot of cult kind of gore-grind and death metal stuff. Um, this is an interesting album because when you hear the name Genital Grinder, which is, of course, a carcass song, and you see this kind of cartoonish, like, juvenile-ish uh, artwork uh, brings to mind maybe like Patago or something like that. It makes me think of like kind of porno grind, gore grind, uh, gore grind with a little bit of a sense of humor maybe. But what you actually get from Genital Grinder is this really awesome uh, brutal death metal with super guttural vocals, maybe gore grind influenced vocals. Uh, but with the riffs, you actually get maybe more of a, I, I want to say like a Florida style death metal. Uh, your your monstrosity, uh, maybe Morbid Angel um, bands like that, uh, and uh, uh, I don't want to use the technical word, but there's a, a smartness to the songwriting that you wouldn't maybe expect from the cover art of this album. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is one of those uh, this is one of those don't judge a book by its cover instances for me because I actually bought this album um, thinking it was going to be like some sick kind of gore grind album on the recommendation of a friend. And uh, he was right. It's a sick album, but in a different way than I expected. And I've always enjoyed it for that reason. And I I like it when bands have kind of like I said, like smart songwriting, interesting death metal riffs, but there's like an element of raw, uh, gore grind humility to it. You know, it's not too lofty. And this this band is like a perfect balance of that. This on this album, I'm not too familiar with their other work. I have to check out the other album that they put out after this. Uh, but I always enjoyed this. I got this in 2003 when it was brand new, around the time I was in Biolich. And I remember listening to it with those guys and just kind of uh, being fascinated by this band. There's there's just some riffs every once in a while that throw you for a loop. And you might expect them from a band with, I guess, a little bit of a, a loftier uh, aesthetic than songs like uh, Ham Butter Slayer. Uh, <laughs> kind of like that ham <laughs> yeah. Or, or of course, the, the 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 classic Cut Your Dick Off. You know what I mean? And then there's a couple of songs that are just like anagrams, and you can only wonder what they meant. So, um, you know, interesting band, and uh, you know, and even you look at this this photo, uh, one of the guys has a Nocturnus shirt, one of the guys has a Morbid Angel shirt. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's like not your typical gore grind. It's a, it's an interesting uh, little hybrid band. So. Genital Grinder from France, and the uh, the the main guy um, Seb, who's the vocalist and guitarist of Genital Grinder, is also the guitarist and vocalist of the Order of Apollyon, which is uh, a band some people might be familiar with. They've put out, uh, I think, four albums since 2010, uh, and um, they're maybe, maybe bigger in Europe. I don't know, but um, you know, a- again, not like nothing to sneeze at. Like not just a bunch of like uh, crusty dudes playing grindcore. These are like kind of like death metal guys. Uh, with a fun gore grind project, maybe like their their uh, their drinking uh, you know drinking project on Friday night when they hang out and, and rehearse with each other. I don't know, man, but it's uh, it's it's it definitely sounds like it's a fun band and a band that doesn't take themselves too seriously, but made by guys who are fucking sick at their instruments. They're That's shredding. Genital grinder, something I've always been fascinated with, uh, and I'm glad I could share it with the listeners and you guys tonight.
0: I was not expecting that.
1: Don't judge a book by its cover. And the listeners can Google this Genital Grinder self-titled album and see what I mean.
0: The logo is beautiful, too. Yeah. Goddamn work of art.
1: Don't judge a band by a logo, either. Chord shit. It's just like if you had like better artwork and a serious name, like who knows where they could have gone with this, you know? <laughs> True. That's what fa- like I'm. A- and look, I hear that bass. It's like it always fascinates me when a band is really good and they just kind of like are cartoonish and silly about their name, and it's almost that
2: Tony ta- Danza, Tony Danza yeah.
1: conversation yeah. again. Really, yeah. So I guess this is my version of a Tony Danza. I would bit.
0: I would do the same thing like when you you know, when you're saying you wouldn't listen to Tony Danza because of how goofy the name is. Honestly, if I saw that C D in a fucking C D store, I would never pick this up. I just wouldn't Yeah, yeah. The bands have to know this. I think yeah, I yeah. yeah, yeah. Well,
1: a- they named themselves after a carcass song on Riga Putrefaction, so I was like, this is probably really good Gore grind. So I bought it and it wasn't Gore grind. it's not it's like it's really just like death metal but in like more short, quick format, you know? I appreciate the hell out of that. Yeah. We went way underground on that first round of new recommendations. In in the grave, in the casket, in the ground, all sorts of things. Uh, Dug ourselves out, recommended some classic albums. I appreciate you guys recommending it. Justin, that was some... Some really obscure shit, man. Yeah. It was a
0: fine, man. Yeah. yeah
1: the, the, what was that, Vortex? Yeah. The album cover uh, was vaporwave adjacent, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, for sure. Some some interesting color schemes on there.
0: Uh, Japanese yes. uh, American translation space bullshit, yeah. Bullshit, yeah. yeah. It was
1: interesting, <laughs> like, a, like a Sega Saturn game <laughs> <That's> booklet. <exactly. laughs> Now, if there's um, any
0: Vaporwave artists that want to take that <laughs> album and put reverb on it and take all the low end out and want their own, yeah. I guess I'm here
1: for it. Yeah, the work <laughs> is done. Yeah. Uh, and uh, speaking of artists, of course, we thank Karen Crisis uh, for her time and for sharing her stories with us on the podcast. Uh, we wish her the best of luck in her future endeavors. And, uh, of course, listeners, if you're interested, you can check out Karen Crisis' uh, Gospel of the Witches um, as well as her book, Italy's Witches and Medicine Women, Volume 1. She's currently working on Volume 2, uh, and, and uh, so much more. There's a lot of classic music uh, that she's been part of and all that. So, again, thanks to Karen Crisis uh, for joining us on the Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, and thanks to you guys for all your hard work. Love it. Well, hey, thanks yeah. for
0: all the research. Look at this.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm writing a thesis right now. It's on uh, drummers, they Crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, whoa, come on.
0: All right. Uh, yeah, and check out heavyholepodcast.com. Oh, my it <laughs> yeah, so for, easy. I now. forgot.
1: I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I it's totally... so easy. I, I, was, like I was missing yeah, something I was, when I said. I was waiting
0: it. for one of you guys to say it. You know. I it's
1: totally so... forget. Yeah, because uh, if you're into the social media thing, we got all the social medias. Uh, if you're into stickers, we sell packs of stickers through the mail. That's true. Okay.
0: Use the promo code yeah. allegedly get ten dollar ten dollars ten percent. I don't is that 10%, 10%? real? Ten percent. That's fucking real. Oh, that's, that's real. Right. I thought he was joking. Yeah, this is real.
1: Get out of here. We're doing it. All right, we got promo codes now and websites. Heavyholepodcast.com. Uh, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. I'll still fix that popped cassette tape of yours. If it popped, uh, send it over. And, uh, Tom, just for old time's sake, run that number by me, buddy.
0: That number is 631 Three two
1: seven four. Oh, oh almost oh. caught you! Yeah. Wait a minute. Say it again, just so we know you really memorized it. Nice for good. and
0: smooth. Six three one eight three seven three two seven four. Leave us a voicemail. Yeah,
1: holler at us. All right.
0: I never have to ask you again because it's on the website. Yeah, so it's ah. just easy, guys. Listen, Justin made that website. I'm flexing with my grind. I'm flexing with my numbers. All, all right. right, thanks. Are, are you rap? Was that a rap?
1: Is it? Yeah, that's good. Oh. I
0: got, I got a number for you. All right, one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it you <laughs>